Great. Thank you, Rosie. What, what an extraordinary uh, passage that is. Let's pray, shall we, as we keep that open, and we'll have a look at this first part of this book, Ecclesiastes, together. Father, thank you for being together as your people this evening. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us in the scriptures, in the Bible, and especially in Jesus, your son. And we pray that you will give us wisdom tonight as we listen to your word, that we might know you and so follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the topics of work and money, which kind of come up in that reading just now, are very rarely out of the news, are they? Um, Recently, we've had big companies like the BBC having to realise that uh, there seems to be a a pay gap, often between men and women, in what they're paying people for effectively the same work. Uh, You may recall the advice of the late Apple boss, Steve Jobs, talking about how to find satisfaction in work. He said, the key to success in work is to find a job that you love doing. Which is that lovely ideal, isn't it? Uh, but of course, in real life, we're full, we know lots of sayings about work and money, don't we? Money doesn't grow on trees. don't know if your parents ever told you that. Uh, no bees, no honey. No work, no money. Early to bed and early to rise makes someone healthy, wealthy, and wise. And I could go on with others. Jesus has a lot to say about work and money too. None of those sayings were from Jesus, by the way, or in the Bible. Um, But he has a lot to say, and the Old Testament does as well. Old Testament books like the book of Proverbs, and this book, which is also what we call a wisdom book, Ecclesiastes, have a lot to say about such practical things as work and money. So as we look at this book called Ecclesiastes, which may be new to some of us here, may not be one that we've read very much before at all, why is reading this book that appears quite difficult, new to us, uh, maybe also seems quite depressing? I don't know, you know read, reading verse 2 there, meaningless, meaningless, it's, it feels quite depressing at first sight, doesn't it? Why is this so important and relevant today? Well, look at verse 1 there. If you've got the reading open still, um, page 668, Ecclesiastes Chapter 1, the words of the teacher, he says, son of David, king of Jerusalem. These are the words of the teacher, uh, and that's just an English translation of the the Greek word Ecclesiastes, our title for the book, the teacher. And he says that he is the son of David, king of Jerusalem. And that points us to, if you know the Old Testament story, to David's son Solomon. And very likely this is the teaching of, of Solomon, David's son, who was king of Jerusalem. He was the founder, Solomon, of the wisdom movement, the wisdom writings, like Proverbs in the Old Testament. And the historical book of Kings confirms that, as it talks about Solomon and the wisdom he showed, and the queen of Sheba came to visit him because of his wisdom. It also talks in Kings about his wealth, and how he was a fabulously successful, wealthy king, which matches the pictures we're going to see in the next two or three weeks of what Solomon reflects on from his own experience of wisdom and wealth. So why study this book, this term? Well, three quick reasons. Here's the first one. This book has wisdom that we can remember. 
If you know Proverbs at all, you'll know it's, it's phrased in one-liners, like those I started the service with. A time to be born, a time to die, is how he starts an incredible poem we'll come to in chapter 3. These phrases, they're crafted partly to be memorable. Because any saying worth knowing is one that you can remember. That's why they're so powerful. And as, as being a Christian, the good thing to do is to memorise the Bible. Having a memorable book like this is surely a good thing. Secondly, experience that we can relate to. It's very real. The Bible does give us uh, plenty of encouragement about joy, about eternal life in Christ. But that's not the whole story, because work is tough. Uh, Relatives get ill sometimes. Friends become distant. Pleasures don't seem to last often. And the teacher, Solomon, knows all about real life. He's lived all this stuff that we experience. We can relate to him. Then third, here's a message we can benefit from. One of the words the teacher repeats a lot, and you know, between now and next Sunday, why not count, read the book and count how many times, is the word meaningless. He starts the book with it, as he saw. He ends it, he repeats verse 2 of chapter 1, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless, at the end in chapter 12, verse 8, as if to say, the kind of bookending it. That's the point, guys, meaningless. But before we get too discouraged by that, that, that key word meaningless... We've got a bit of a problem here, a rare problem, with translation. We've got fabulously accurate translation in our hands tonight. But I'm going to kind of break my usual rule here, and we're going to do a little bit of Hebrew. Because I think it makes a difference with this particular translation. The original word, which is translated meaningless here, in Hebrew is the word hevel. We've put it on the screen there. It's a, Hebrew is a soft B. It's pronounced a V in English. Hevel. So what verse 2 says is everything is hevel. Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel in the Hebrew. And as I've put up on the screen there, the word hevel originally means breath or vapor. It's like on those cold mornings that are coming up quite soon uh, where you breathe out and you, you see your breath and it's gone. You can't sort of grab it, bottle it, keep it for several weeks. It's gone. And he's saying life is like that. It's like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. That's how fragile how temporary our lives are. Everything, he says, is like breath, like vapour. Everything is vapour. And just to uh, back that up, a couple of other references I put on the screen there if you're taking notes. Psalm 39, verse 5, uses the same word, hevel, and says every life is as a breath. That's how this Bible translates the same word in Psalm 39. Breath. Every life is as a breath, even those that seem secure. And then James 4 in the New Testament. Um, one of the uh, translations of this word translates it like this. Your life is a breath that vanishes. Your life is a breath, a vapor. Momentary. Here and then gone. So that word hevel, meaningless, it's not so much about life's deep meaning as about life's brevity, how short life is. The English Standard Version follows what was the old King James and translates that, that verse to, not meaningless meaningless, but vanity. Vanity, everything is vanity. 
In other words, futile. Uh, coming to nothing in the end. So here is the teacher, the writer, warning us to recognise that everything in life, from work to pleasure, and he'll touch on all of that stuff, is, is if you like, weightless, brief, like vapour, like breath. It may feel huge to us at the time, but in the context of all of life and of eternity and of God, it's, it's tiny, it's brief. So the message version translates verse 2, smoke, nothing but smoke, there's nothing to anything, it's all smoke. That's actually quite a good translation. So right at the end of the book, the teacher's going to apply this message especially to the young amongst us. So it's great that we've got young people, students here this evening. Chapter 12, there's a poem all about youth and old age. He's effectively saying as he starts out, Remember your creator, he says, in the days of your youth, before it's too late, before you get old, before this this breath, this vapour we call life, is almost gone. So there's a lot of God in this book. It's not a book without faith. It's not a pessimistic book, but it's very realistic, how short our lives really are. So, in this first section, let's turn to that now a bit more. The teacher zeroes in on the topic of work. And he's going to show us in what way work, which seems so important and weighty to us, looked at objectively, realistically, you could also say, well, it's it's just vapour. It's just heaven. It's just brief. So tonight we're going to look at two questions that he asked in this section, in these opening verses. Two questions. um, In verse 3 and then in verse 10. And these questions are both about why he's saying everything in life, including work, is just breath, vapour. Here's the first question, and it's there in verse 3. What is gained by the work at which we labour? What is gained by the work at which we labour? See that question in verse 3? What do people gain? What does man gain from all his labour at which he works, he toils, under the sun. That word gain, it's a, it's a business question, isn't it? It is a profit question. From all the investment we make, what profit do we make? This guy, Solomon, he is a realist. He's hard-headed. He knows about the bottom line, as business people call it. Now, at the end of a, a financial year, a businesswoman is going to be asking, what's the bottom line? What profit did we make for our company? And that's the kind of question he's asking. What gain do we get from all the work we invest? And the teacher's pointing out the negative side of work. Um, Now, we spend apparently hundreds of thousands of hours of our lives in work. And he's asking, at the end of all those hundreds of thousands of hours, what really do we get for it? It's a really good question, isn't it? And he actually uses, the teacher uses uh, quite a strong word. It's it's the word for labour here, uh, almost slave labour, toil. He's reminding us that works can be great, can be fulfilling, but can be very tough. It can be sweat and toil and labour. So he's already just pressing back against the romantic idea that all of our work should just be delight all the time. The kind of Steve Jobs thing that just find a job you love and it'll, it'll just be easy for you. Here's the first sign that 
the book, the teacher, Solomon, is taking a lot of his thinking here from other parts of the Bible, especially from the beginning of Genesis. So if you remember Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the creation story, a beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are there in God's presence, and they're working, looking after the garden. But then chapter 3, it all changes, doesn't it? And the serpent comes, and he tempts them into trying the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. They try it, and it all goes wrong. And God then has to come to Adam and Eve and to the serpent and, and bring a curse upon them because of what we call the fall. And we now live on the fall side of Genesis 2, don't we? We're in Genesis 3, as it were. And back in Genesis 3, verse 17, this is what God says. He says to Adam and Eve, through painful toil, same word again, painful toil, you will eat from the ground. In the fall, toil, hard work, as well as death, mortality, come to the human race. You might remember in Genesis 4, Adam and Eve's son, Abel, was murdered by his brother Cain. So Abel's life, when you think about it, was, was pretty tough and very short, wasn't it? And the name Abel in the Hebrew is actually our word again. It's the same word, Hevel. It's almost like he was named, uh, you know, vapor boy, breath boy. Just to show us all how short our lives are, how tough they are, this side of the fall. And the Bible from Genesis 3 onwards, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, is a story of how God is restoring us to heaven. That's where the end of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, goes in the end. Restoring us to heaven from hevel. If I can slightly pun on the two words there. He's bringing us back to his presence from the curse. So... Verse 4, generations come and go, says Solomon, like a breath in and out. That's how short our our life is. It's like you breathe in, you breathe out, that's it, that's your life. Only, he says, the earth remains behind us. And he's saying, where's the gain from all of that labor? That breath you took, what did you really gain by it? And he illustrates by way of a kind of a poem from nature. He says, take the sun, verse 5. Every morning, it comes up in the east. Every evening, it goes down in the west. It races across the sky. It hurries back, panting, to the east again for the morning and comes up again, exhausted. Where's the gain, he says, from all that chasing the sun is doing? It's it's poetry, of course. Uh, The band Pink Floyd captured this in the words on their, their famous album, Dark Side of the Moon, years ago. Uh, they said so you run and you run to catch up with the sun but it's sinking racing around to come up behind you again the sun is the same in a relative way but you're older shorter of breath and one day closer to death I suspect they picked up that idea from this verse the sun racing round but going nowhere take the wind he says verse 6 its efforts are just as futile as the sun It races to the north, to the south. It comes back to where it started in the end. Where is the gain in that? And rivers are the same. Verse 7, they flow down into the sea, um, gallon after gallon of water. But is the lake ever full? Does it ever say that's enough? You can stop now? 
No, it just goes on and on and round and round. It's never full. Where is the gain from all that activity if nothing's changed in the end? If you've ever seen the the famous musical Showboat, which we saw in the West End a couple of years ago, the famous line, the famous song in that song goes like this. R, you have to forgive the accent here, R gets weary and sick of trying. I'm weary and tired of living and, and scared of dying. But old man River, he just keeps rolling along. He just keeps rolling along. Isn't life like that? Like, like a river that's just, just rolling along. And I'm chasing and I'm running and I'm worrying about the future. But it's all, in the end, gaining nothing. So you, know, you start a new college course, but the lectures you find are just as hard as the work you did before. A new job, maybe, doesn't pay any better than the last one did. Friday always seems to come around so slowly, doesn't it, as you work through the week. But then the weekend and Monday's upon you before you know it, isn't it? You wash your dirty laundry, and it's all done. But then, of course, by a few days, by next week, it's all there again, needing washing. This is life, isn't it? What do we gain, says Solomon? A really searching question. What do we gain from all of that labour? Now, later on, the teacher will tell us that there are really positive things about work and about experiencing um, satisfaction under God in our work. So hang on, come back for that um, next week and the week after. But there's our first question answered. What do we gain from all the work at which we labour? And he says, well, nothing, it's just vapour. It's just a brief thing that's gone. So that's the first question answered. Nothing's gained by all that work. Here's the second question. Uh, And here we're in, look at verses 8 to 11. What is there of which we can say, this is new? So if you look at verse 8, he talks about the eyes and the ears there, doesn't he? Everything the eye sees, everything the ear hears is Boring, we might translate it. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. The eye never has enough of seeing. Do you know that kind of feeling? No amount of feeding of of my eyes from TV, from Facebook, from films, from Instagram, from the news, from video, ever satisfies. I'm never kind of saying, that's great, I'm done now. That's made a real difference to my life. I'm complete. It's the same with the ear, he says. No plethora of playlists and podcasts and pieces of gossip is ever enough to satisfy my ears. And I say, that's great. Now I've got it. I'm complete. So he says in verse 9, what has been will be again. History repeats itself. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Same old, same old, we'd say, wouldn't we? Yogi Bear, the philosopher, famously said, it's deja vu all over again. So verse 11, he says, no one remembers the former generations, the people of long ago. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. And again, this is very piercing. This is spot on, isn't it? Now, can you remember 
the names of your great-grandparents? Maybe a few of you can. Can you remember the names of your great-great-grandparents? I suspect very few of us can. And that's our immediate relatives. Uh, who today remembers the, the names of the citizens of Norwich from when it was England's second city 500 years ago? We don't even know who the mayor was, probably, do we? Never mind the names of the other people that lived here. So what's really new, says Solomon, says the teacher? What's really new? What's changed the world and made a difference and everyone now remembers it? He says, well, it's all breath. It's all vapour. It's all gone. It's nothing. And what an important message that is for us because we live in a world that thinks of human history as a constant upward progress, doesn't it? The world is getting better and better and better. We think of ourselves as people that are here to make the world a better place in the time that we have. Again, um, doing what we can for others is it's our calling as followers of Christ. But we're very proud if we think we can make the difference. Or if we think human race is going to fix all its problems and make the world a better place one day. The more things change, the teacher's saying, the more they stay the same. Generations come and go, but the world stays the same. So we talk, don't we, of Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, and I'm guessing that we'll soon be talking about Generation A again, back to the beginning. And so it repeats. Your life is a breath, Solomon's saying. It's a mist that vanishes. It's all been done before. It'll all be done again. No one will remember. And I think, isn't the teacher, isn't Solomon here really humbling to our human pride? He's pulling the rug, isn't he, from under my ego that says, I am number one in this world. I am important. And the world really needs me. Because we've seen, we all have a part to, part to play in God's purposes. But will anyone remember the things I did and said in a century's time. But it's also vital to listen, because he's pointing out, isn't he, that no work really gains me anything. Nothing is really new. Life, my life, is really no more than just something, a breath, a mist, here for a moment. It makes me, as the Psalms put it, number my days. Work out what really matters in this life. He's not saying that real life is worthless. We'll see in the next few weeks. He's got a lot to say about that. But actually, that phrase, there's nothing new under the sun. The end of verse 9 there. Under the sun. That's another of Solomon's favorite phrases. We've seen Hevel. Here is under the sun. Because it's... Effectively, it's a way of saying, on this physical earth that we see, nothing lasts, nothing's eternal, it's all breath, it's all temporary. But by saying under the sun, I just wonder, is he not saying, hmm, there is something more than that, though? There's a not-under-the-sun world to think about, what we might call a, a heaven, an under-God reality to think about as well so as I finish it's always good to ask any book of the Bible any passage where is Jesus here 
Not easy to see Jesus in this verse, is it, in this passage? He's not named. But actually, he is here in chapter 1, because like his ancestor Solomon, Jesus was human. Jesus was a king, a descendant of David, in fact. Jesus knew the futility and the familiarity, the repeated nature of human life. He had hands and ears and eyes like we do. In fact, Jesus didn't just experience the curse, the toil that work is on this side of the fall. He took the curse on the cross for us so that our curse might begin to end. And in fact, Jesus also promises at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21 that one day the curse will end. One day all will be restored, will, as it were, be back in Genesis 1 and 2 again with God in the garden when he says, I will make all things new. So nothing new under the sun, S-U-N. Ah, oh, yes, but everything is new under the sun, S-O-N, Jesus he will bring us, according to God's wonderful, loving, redeeming plan, from heaven to heaven, from futility to eternity. So it just leads me to ask, how do I respond to this very real look at human life and what Jesus has to say about it? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 16, almost using the language of, of our first question about what do we gain from all this work? What good is it, he says, to gain the whole world? What's just temporary? What's just futile? What's just vapor? What good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? It's a call to put him first, to follow him. Because in him is eternity, is something solid, is something lasting and worthwhile. So as well as life under the sun, there is life under the sun, Jesus and if you're here tonight and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or this is kind of new to you, then please just keep coming, because we're going to keep looking at these big questions. And if you'd like to take a copy of the original documents of Jesus, the, one of the Gospels, we've got lots of them on our uh, bookstore at the back there. Just take one with our compliments and read it for yourself. Because Jesus is asking, isn't he, not what we gain from all our work, which is where Solomon starts, but what we gain if we experience all the world offers in this brief breath of life. But then, because we're so attached to it, we lose eternity with Jesus. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Let's think about our own lives and experiences to this day. And we give thanks for so much that's been rich and rewarding. But we also pray, Heavenly Father, that you will show us the brevity of our lives. And that whatever's significant in this world um, is in Solomon's estimation just a vapor in eternity, just a breath. And may we set ourselves to what really counts and matters and lasts, faith and hope and love, those things that remain. And may we, above all, learn to count you first, so gain our souls 
because we've learned not to love the things that we can't ever keep, the things of this world under the sun. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.